0: This is Crime Connections, and we're your hosts. I'm Sarah. And I'm Jackie. Today we wanted to tell you about another domestic violence case, and this episode was harder to research initially because of a few different reasons, and we'll get into that later. But today's case, in my opinion, was different because it removes the stereotypes of what we think domestic violence looks like. Now let's get into it. In the early morning hours of December 21st, 2010, Dispatchers received a disturbing 911 call from a man pleading for someone to come help him and to hurry. They heard two gunshots and then the line went dead.
1: 911, is a medical please. emergency? They want to kill me, hurry up, please! Sorry. Sir, where are you? Help! Help! What's the address? Help! Help! What is the address? Help! Help! Hello.
0: According to the Latin Times article, because a cell phone was used to make the 911 call, authorities didn't have an exact address of the caller or who the caller was, but they later found out it was Landy Martinez. The police then had to narrow down a location using the cell phone towers, and that information led them to St. Petersburg, Florida. Authorities then went door to door asking if residents had heard anything unusual. The only thing the neighbors could think of was people were out really early doing door-to-door sales things. So I don't know if that's just like normal, just people trying to sell products. I'm not sure what that meant. But the officers thought maybe this was somehow connected at the time, but then they realized that that wasn't the case. And they still didn't have the exact location or the identity of the caller. While they're doing these door to door, asking the neighbors if they heard anything strange or seen anything unusual, they just knew whatever happened, happened in that area. About 40 minutes later, police received another call. And this time it was a woman asking police if they could do a welfare check on her roommate. She wanted them to check because her roommate, Landy Martinez, had sent a strange text to his boyfriend. So he contacted her about him asking them, like, what was going on. He thought maybe they were home. When she wasn't able to get in touch with Landy because she was out of town, she checked the house cameras and realized they were all down, which was super weird because they had recently put them in, and so they could check around the house whatever was going on, whatever time, from their phone in that moment. Police were extremely interested in this call because the address she gave was on the same area of the call of a distressed man a short time earlier. According to the Oxygen article on the case, What police saw when they reached Landy Martinez's home was shocking. The roommate was right. The security cameras were down because someone had cut them. The house was ransacked looking. The bathroom in particular was destroyed. The shower and the sliding glass doors were broken off the tracks. There was Drano liquid plumber and a knife and duct tape in the bathroom. And in the bedroom, not far from the bathroom, was Landy Martinez. He was dead. He had been shot twice, once in the head and once in the chest. Later, when an autopsy report was finished, it revealed that Landy had also had knife wounds and burns on his eyes and throat from exposure to Drano. Because of the brutality, this signaled investigators that whoever did this, it was personal because it wasn't a random burglary. There were other red flags raised too because the Drano had been taken from the kitchen cabinets to the bathrooms and they weren't really near each other, which also told the investigators that whoever did this had insider information about where things were kept in the home. But there wasn't much evidence to say who did it because there was no DNA in the house that belonged to anyone else other than Landy. They also found another key and shocking clue of what went on moments before landy was murdered they found landy's cell phone hidden under a mattress not far from his body which i'm guessing he tried to hide the phone when he was making the 911 call and whoever had come after him he didn't want them to know that he he had the phone now that everyone knows who this case is about it's landy martinez and landy martinez is also referred to landy martinez evasco And i'm sorry if i butchered that i don't really know how to pronounce it right but i'm guessing it's Vasquel. so you'll find that name in other articles too but most coverage covers him as landy martinez but in the latin american times they said that and i'm guessing it's because that was his given name for maybe a different marriage or something i don't really know but i just wanted to include that eight days before landy had died he had just turned 21 Landy was born in Cuba and had moved to Miami to live with his father. And shortly after he turned 18, he came out to all of his loved ones and friends and he told them that he was gay. And eventually he ended up moving to St. Petersburg, which is a city known for being LGBTQ friendly. And he found plenty of friends there and he took advantage of the city's nightlife. Many have been quoted saying only good things about Landy's character, saying he loved life, he liked to be with people, and he had so many friends. Landy worked as a certified nurse assistant at a nursing home nearby Tampa. He was sweet and kind and caring, and the residents loved him. He loved the residents. Eventually, he became the activities caretaker. Landy loved his job and loved his coworkers. And that was quoted from his friend, Gail Riggs. And if you look up the case, you're gonna find a lot of things about Gail because she does um, an in-person interview and she's quoted saying a lot about Landy's character and also comments on his relationship with his partners. So it came as a shock when Landy was murdered because there were so many questions needing to be answered and there wasn't very many leads from the crime scene to answer them. In the same Oxygen article, it says that Landy's roommates had been on vacation when he died, so when I said earlier that his roommates were out of town, it was because they were on vacation. And their alibis checked out with this, so in no way were they ever connected to this. They only aided to helping find Landy sooner. They did reveal, though, that Landy had been dating someone new. His name was Jonathan Garcia. And it had only been going on for about a month, but he was apparently head over heels for Jonathan. This spiked investigators' interest because, as you know, if you've listened to any of our other episodes or watch anything about crimes, a lot of times when someone is murdered, it's usually their significant other or someone very close to them.
1: Or someone they knew, yeah.
0: Yeah, so when they went to interview jonathan who was 25 at the time he insisted he was home alone that morning of the murder and he had actually been trying to call landy which is why the roommates had called to do a welfare check so garcia knew the roommates and they knew him so when he said something was up with landy they were like okay we believe this let's check this out and so that's why the roommate called so they all at this point were you know innocent Also, his phone calls and his phone records also ended up backing this up because it proves that his phone was nowhere near the cell tower, and he was, at the time of the murder, texting Landy, asking him things. So he was eventually totally not connected at all besides helping aid and finding Landy. Mm -hmm. But what Jonathan did tell detectives, which alarmed them, was he had revealed that they had been in a love triangle and jonathan expressed to landy that he was jealous of this and wanted to be the only one so the night before the murder landy called his ex-boyfriend jose adame who was 28 at the time so in a three-way phone call landy told jose with jonathan on the phone and i've gotten conflicting articles saying that jose didn't know that jonathan was on the phone so Mm. he doesn't know that jonathan is hearing everything that's being said but Landy told Jose that their relationship was completely over and the emotional conversation lasted about an hour at wow. which point yeah it's a long time yeah well I'm sure it goes along the lines of like baby please take me back no let's not end this like you know like the, I know the just like knowing breakup. that the other guy was on the phone is so weird for an hour yeah and at one point so one article says that Jose revealed he was on the phone the whole time listening and that Um, Jose ended up maybe finding out and he was not pleased about that or he didn't know and either way Jonathan had insider information about that entire phone call whether Jose knows about him being on the phone or not that's kind of conflicting I couldn't find anything. But Jonathan was listening the whole time. And what he did say was that Jose was not happy at all about the conclusion that Landy came to with him saying, like, hey, I don't want to see you anymore. This is completely over. But from other reports, the relationship was pretty much over anyways. Just Jose wouldn't leave Landy alone. Mm. So when Jonathan received text messages that morning... Basically, they were along the lines of, We're done. I don't ever want to see you anymore. And Jonathan's like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Last night you told me that you were done with Jose. Like, this is yeah. weird. This doesn't make sense. And it just did not line up with their prior conversations. So Jose was like immediately concerned about Landy. And that's why he called the roommate. According to the Oxygen article, those texts were saying, I'm going back to Jose. I really love Jose. It's over between us. We haven't been together that long. I don't want you. Jose is the person I love. Which, okay, red flag. Um, that sounds like Jose is sending them to me. Because yeah. that's so, he keeps saying Jose's name. And Landy obviously told him a night be- the night before in an hour conversation how many times he didn't want him. Exactly. That's so weird. Yep. So a little backstory, so Jose and Landy met from a dating app in 2009. The relationship started off really strong, but then it turned volatile with the pair fighting constantly. And authorities told the producers of the Oxygen documentary on Jose and Landy that when they finally broke up, there were still so many issues. So this is what the ultimate crazy person does (laughs) it honestly is ridiculous. Jose took Landy's car and he would drive past traffic lights with cameras and speed through them so that Landy would have to pay the tickets. So he took the car and there was different articles saying that they had bought the car together. So both names were on it, but it was mostly in Landy's name. So Landy had responsibilities for paying everything, Mm -hmm. but Jose still had his name on the title. But then other things said that that wasn't the case either way when landy convinced jose to meet him because he had to tell him they were getting back together otherwise he wouldn't meet with him Mm -hmm. he had police waiting with him to get the car back because he was like i'm not driving this car and i keep getting speeding tickets in the mail and i literally cannot afford this and at the time of this happening he's 20 years old and he has someone in their mid-20s pulling all these little stunts on him so that's really confusing and, and really... scary. Mani- it's so scary and it's super manipulative. That's why you like really need to watch who you are dating, who you're going on dates with, who you give your information to. Like, You have to watch how someone reacts. If someone reacts really poorly when they're in a very minimal situation when you're arguing or whatever, you gotta realize what's gonna happen to you if it's a really big situation. Yeah. And so when he tried to cut it off, this man goes completely crazy and starts, you know, financially trying to, yeah, Yeah, he's financially destroying this poor kid. So, with this information, Jose is now their number one suspect, as he should be, because now they know, okay, this man's volatile, and I'd also like to say, too, so initially, from what I watched in an interview with Gail Riggs, who was, she's seen pictured with Landy in a lot of photos, so that tells me they probably are pretty close. Mm -hmm. She said that the reason that their relationship started going into a downward spiral is because jose would say really off the wall things to people and so she had an 11 year old son at the time and she she says and a lot of people heard at this party that jose asked her 11 year old son if he wanted to go back to the apartment smoke weed and watch porn and so what yeah and Gail's a really good mom, so she's like, "Um, excuse me, that's not going to happen. How dare you talk to my son like that? That's not appropriate at all. And so Landy, who's friends with Gail, is like, yeah, no, that's not cool, dude. That's not appropriate at all. And that was kind of the turning point for their relationship. Yeah, it's like creepy. It's very, I think, predatorial. Like, that's weird. Why would you want an underage boy watching porn with you? Yes, kids do that, but usually not that early, Well, and if they're doing it, they're doing it with her friends, not a grown man. Who's almost in his 30s. And they don't know. Yeah. Like, what? That's weird. It's disgusting and not okay. So, obviously, Landy's like, yep, that's kind of a turning point for me. And Gail was like, yep, kid's never going to be around you again, which makes it difficult for Landy to hang out with his friend. Yeah. When I told you earlier about the phone being found under the mattress that was the most damning piece of evidence that they found against jose because what they found on that phone showed a disgusting video of someone who was supposed to love landy forcing him to beg for his life he was pleading in spanish while wrapped in duct tape drinking drano poured on him oh my gosh And in the video, you can see the fear in Landy's eyes and maybe even a hint of feeling betrayed because according to the producers of Florida Man Murders, at one point he tells Jose he was sorry and he asked him not to kill him. And that's all on the phone. That's so sad. Yeah, it's. I can't even imagine. You know, he's trying to go about it the right way, ending things with him, and he's just not letting him end it. So Landy knew he was in trouble because obviously he's begging for his life. He's duct-taped getting Draino poured on his skin. And with some stroke of luck, he escapes the bathroom with the phone that was used to video him and ran to the bedroom. And you can tell from photos from the crime scene that a scuffle of some sort must have occurred because it looks like the door handle of the bedroom door was beaten in, most likely when Jose realized, hey, he's escaped. He's going into the bedroom mm-hmm. and he has the phone. He's probably trying to call the police or whatever. Um, he beat the door in to get Landy, and that's probably when the shots got fired, and that's what the operator heard. Yeah. And I honestly cannot imagine feeling that little sense of hope that Landy felt, that he was like, oh my god, I escaped and I can call for help, because he probably thought that he was gonna get saved. That's so sad. Well, and I think that's sad. When it, he he probably had all of that like hope stripped away because he's hearing the door getting beaten in, and he's probably thinking, okay, I don't have much time. And then the operator's hearing everything, and the phone goes dead. But he still hid the phone because he probably thought, this is my one chance. He probably didn't think that he was going to shoot him. No. Maybe pull him back into a different room and continue to torture him. But not that. Yeah. So given this new evidence... Investigators Confronted Jose Adame Who insisted he was in North Carolina oh At the God. time of the murder Yep always he was never even in the area But when they checked Jose's cell phone location It pinged off the same cell tower As Landy's phone did that morning of the murder They had solid proof He, he was indeed in St. Petersburg In the same neighborhood Around the same time Landy was killed So they were like no nope, hook line and sinker And you have all these previous issues as well so according to the Florida man murders, when investigators confronted Jose with their proof, they asked him why Landy said they in the 911 call. They are going to kill him. Detectives wanted to know from Jose oh, who they Oh, so there was two is. people. Mm-hmm. Wow, And they wanted to know who the accomplice was. And Jose would not budge on this information. And all of a sudden, this scumbag immediately becomes ill. Like, how convenient. You're so ill that you can't finish your interrogation with officers. Yeah, really. But they knew just by the reaction of this that it must be someone very close to Jose. Someone maybe like a family member. That alone made them realize, hey, maybe we should start questioning people in Jose's close circle. So they questioned his cousin Maria, revealed that he had taken her 16-year-old brother on a drive to Florida with her mother's car. She directed police to the vehicle where inside they found blood on the steering wheel, black gloves splattered with more blood. Jose was arrested and charged with first degree murder and homicide and police ultimately decided not to charge the teen relative. Jose's defense attorney insisted that, although he was involved in the killing, he said that the nephew had murdered Landy Martinez, according to the Associated Press report in 2016. Did they do anything with him? They did not charge the 16-year-old, no. Oh, my God. And then when they found out that they weren't charging anyone, then Jose automatically put the blame on the nephew and said, he's the one that killed him. Like, that was his defense, which everyone was like, "Mm, we don't believe you. Like, that's not true. But at the same time, the kid was there. He should have been charged with something or at least been forced to go to some therapy or something. He should have had to have something, whether that's community service or therapy. To me, personally, I would have charged him. Like Yeah, because well, just
1: because... Okay, well, if he didn't physically do the killing, he was still there and either he's traumatized because he was forced into the situation or
0: he's messed up because he was participating in the situation. And he might now start do it committing again. violent crimes. Yeah. I mean, sometimes people see something violent and then they now they have that and they do it again. Like, yeah, they either get off on it or they're terrified of it. Either
1: way, they need mental help to deal with it. Right. You know, or to d- determine whether they're going to do it again. And take action in that
0: well my thing is is how many times do you have people that were in lesser crimes charged as adults when they're teenagers yeah. and have to serve time for something not even that serious yeah this is serious and i truly believe that like yeah he is a kid but guess what he's fully functioning enough to know right and wrong and he was still there and he was there and he watched someone get murdered
1: like i uh- <laughs> Yeah, they, they really should have determined whether, like, A, he was participating, or B, he was forced to be there. And then he he's going to, because like I said, he's going to, there's two things that are going to happen. He is going to either be traumatized for the rest of his life, or he is going to do something again.
0: Like, yeah, I mean, we don't know. We don't know if Jose forced him. I, I, I hope that they did their full investigation on that and decided that. I mean, it definitely is seriously unfortunate for that family altogether because now you have two people in your family that committed a really heinous act on someone that didn't deserve it whatsoever. At all. Yeah. So with that being said, the jury did not buy his defense at all. And obviously neither would most people that are intelligent. So Jose Adame will spend the rest of his life serving a lifetime prison sentence in Florida. Good. Which. Yeah. Good riddance. So I did wanna do some statistics on this case because obviously this is our Domestic Violence Awareness Month and we wanted to do different versions of domestic violence so people get all ends of the spectrum. So for starters, it seems as the last real published data on domestic violence and intimate partner violence was done in 2010, and that is data that has been regurgitated into almost all the articles that I've found on domestic violence and statistics on domestic violence. And anyone a part of the LGBTQ community, this is what they're saying. And it's so broad that most of the time it's only covering, you know, Uh, Husband and wife or boyfriend and girlfriend. It doesn't really cover girlfriend, girlfriend, boyfriend, boyfriend or um, people that may identify as a different sexual orientation or preference. So it really sucks because we don't really have good statistics and information on that. That's pretty much the last thing for the last 12 years that the CDC has put out there. Which, which is crazy. That's like a very, a long time ago. Well, I, I get that they want to have information with like good years, but I mean, it's been over 10 years, so it's time to start getting some more information out, Yeah, especially with you know, in 2021, we are more open to mental health and statistics and things like that. Like, let's get on that because I would like to see more specific things because 2010 versus 2021, totally different. It's yeah, night and day. Yeah, bring more awareness to it. and Absolutely. So, um, with that being said, I would like to point this out. There is a website, and it's www.glbthotline.org. And that is a website that is support for all ranges of people in the LGBTQ community, whether that's youth to senior, like it doesn't matter. They help you if you're trying to figure out how to come out or if you need help going somewhere. They seem like a very good resource and they answer all different questions and they have a 24 hour hotline for anyone that's in intimate partner violence or domestic violence or it, just anything, any questions that someone might have, whether they're a young kid that doesn't know if they're coming out or how to identify themselves or an older person that, you know, may have been heterosexual their whole life, but they're still confused and curious, like they can do all of those things for you there. So it's a really good resource. Yeah. And I would also like to say that sexual minority respondents report that levels of intimate partner violence are at an equal rate or higher of those of heterosexual people. So that's when you find things about, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, those statistics for people that are also married and may be of the same sex or different orientation they have higher rates of domestic violence and intimate partner violence so and it's so underreported that you, you just cannot get specific statistics it makes it even worse like for the reporting if the partners are of color any color whether you are from Asian, Hispanic African American descent or anything like that It's very hard for us to get specific statistics because it is different, and people of color do have a lot more violence against them, and they just don't report it because of multiple reasons. So I just wanted to put that out there as well. What I'm about to say is from the 2010 uh, research study that they have done. So the rate of some form of sexual violence were higher among lesbian women, gay men, and bisexual women and men compared to heterosexual women and men. So that's higher. So approximately 1 in 8 lesbian women, so 13%, nearly half of bisexual women, 46%, and 1 in 6 heterosexual women, which is 17%, have been raped in their lifetime. And this translates to an estimated 200,014 lesbian women, 1.5 million bisexual women, and 19 million heterosexual women, 4 in 10 Gay men, 40%, nearly half the bisexual men, 47%, and 1 in 5 heterosexual men, 21%, have experienced sexual violence other than rape in their lifetime, and this translates to nearly 1.1 million gay men, 903,000 bisexual men, and 21.6 million heterosexual men. Those are the sexual violence statistics for those groups of people. Violence by their intimate partner, the percentages go as such. Lesbian women have 43.8%, bisexual women have 61.1%, and heterosexual women have 35% of violence committed to them by their partner. For men, gay men experience 26%, bisexual men experience 37.3%, and heterosexual men experience 29% of violence from their partners so those statistics are all very high and that's what it's reporting from the 2010 article again i don't know how current any of this information is because especially with covid and being trapped in the house with your partners those statistics are way higher and you can't really get an exact number especially when they haven't done any new articles for well, over you also 10 years have to
1: think of the amount of people not reporting
0: Yeah, that's, and it's even worse for anyone of color because they, most of the time, they're not reporting anything because they're like, okay, what are you going to do for me, anyways? Like, you're not going to, you're not going to help me or or, you're going to blame me. Or you're going to blame me. So, especially people that are in the LGBTQ community, it is so much harder for them to even, even get help because I've read in some of the articles after doing this case that there's so many women's shelters or there's so many shelters in general. And if you don't know your, if you don't specifically say, I am a man or I'm a woman, they will not let you in the shelter. So now you don't even have shelter to help you, whether that's getting a hot meal or a place to sleep for a night or any kind of aid to get away from the person that's causing you this violence in your life. Yeah. And I was reading that and I was like, I've never, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm naive to this. This month has you know, taught me so much about domestic violence in general, but I did not know that that was a thing. Like you have to say, I am a man or I am a woman. Like, I feel like we've come so far from that in the last year alone to say, you don't have a place for me to sleep because I don't fit your norms. Like, that's weird. Mm -hmm. That's weird to me. Because because, I don't
1: identify with female or male. Yeah. So
0: now I just am what? Now I have to sleep outside or I have to, you know. Go back home to my abuser. yeah, Yeah. Like, that's screwed up. So I, I thought that was kind of crazy when I was reading that as well, but that's why I, I included the website above of the hotline because they, they have really good information for anyone, mm-hmm. let alone, like they can, you know, if, if you're in a certain area, they can even provide websites, hey, this is a place, you know, in LA or this is a place in New York or, you know, Utah, whatever, they can provide that information, which I thought was really good. And I'll also Im- include that stuff in our post that we make um, when we post all of this stuff as well. I know this was a lot of information but i think it's necessary to put the microscope on a topic specifically tailored to a demographic of people that are constantly overlooked and until recent years anyone who was not straight had a hush hush cloud over them and it's time for that to change in more recent years there have been more information made available about the lgbtq community but this community still suffers against discrimination and you can tell just based on the fact barely any new information has been published about domestic violence or intimate partner violence. Landy is not the first and unfortunately will not be the last person that falls victim to intimate partner violence, but I wanted to diversify each week in October. The topic of domestic violence is particularly important to me and I hold a very special place in my heart for all the victims and survivors and their families. I hope you remember the names of Tara Grant, Vera Joe, Landy Martinez, and the future names of the last case we cover. Thank you and join us next week as we come to the end of Domestic Violence Awareness Month. It is not the end. We will definitely still talk about domestic violence, but this was our specifically tailored month to domestic violence. Thank you guys so much.
1: Also, I do just want to quickly say thank you to Sarah. I am (laughs) sick right now, and so I'm not talking very much, but you did good on the episode. Thank you so much. But (laughs) We'll see you guys next week. Thank you.